Hi, Talia Lazarus here and welcome back to I Got Back Up. Today I'm joined by Noel Joyce and after a mountain biking accident left him paralysed, Noel didn't let this stop him. Noel has not only reclaimed his passion for mountain biking, but he has revolutionised the sport for others. He's gone on to design, construct and ride adaptive mountain bikes. And as if this wasn't enough, his visionary project at NYU involves the creation of the world's first open source adaptive mountain bike. Smashing barriers that have hindered those eager to experience the thrill of the sport, join me through the life of Noel Joyce. I think it's great to always go back a little bit and to start a little bit in the past uh, of, you know, what resonates most with who you are today and kind of, you know, your story as to, you know, what happened and sometimes even going a little bit further back, if that's what you feel most resonates with, you know, everything yeah. that happened. Well, if I go back to the start, uh, I always think about uh, bicycles, uh, you know, as a, a pretty, it's something that everyone can connect to. It's almost like the first, uh, the first sort of item that we can use for more freedom than, than just walking or running or whatever it might be brings us further places things like that right so i was always like tinkering and messing around with bicycles um and uh in my early uh earlier years when i was a teenager i actually worked in bike bike shops as well so a bicycle shop here in Tullamore called Buckley Cycles. And I was always tinkering and messing around with bikes. So I always had a keen interest in it. But after a while, um, uh, I, I sort of fell out of love with it a little bit and ended up then going and, and joining the, the military here in Ireland. I, I, I became a soldier um, and I was in the army then for about five, six years. Um, and that's when, you know, around about... 2000 and 2005 it was I had my accident um, and that that finished my career in the military because I couldn't be a soldier anymore but I was very lucky because the the military the, the Irish army they supported me when I went back to college so I went back to college to study industrial design um, and you know when I had the accident at the time I didn't know what I was going to do because I sort of right career was going to be this thing but um when I went, when I was in hospital, I seen a lot of people with different types of disabilities. And I thought, is there a career that you could be involved in that helps people with disabilities from the perspective of the the lived environment, the products that we use, that kind of thing. So um, it was while I was in hospital, I chose the path of uh, industrial design. If anyone doesn't know what industrial design is, it's basically anything you put your hand on. As a physical object, uh, an industrial designer had to have some input on that, trying to figure out like human factors and, you know, how a product works and, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's, it's quite, the more I learn about it, the less I know. So um, it's sort of like such a massively broad field. Um, yeah. And so that, that was sort of the path uh, to, to how I ended up um, uh, um, working on, on products, physical products and, and part of the journey of you know, mountain biking for me as well has been that because I ended up designing my own bikes. So obviously what we want to do is I want to talk to you all about the bikes and, you know, kind of the concept of designing it. But before we do, what happened in the accident? Oh, well, yeah, it's, it's always because you mentioned it's August, nearly August now. Uh, it was August 18 years ago when I had the accident. So literally you know, only a week or two away from, from my, my paraversary, uh, the, the time I became a para, paraplegic, became paraplegic. Um, 
so I was out on a on a really really miserable day on the bike um and I was coming down a hill um in a place called Mullock Mean it's a it's a it's an area in in Ireland where a lot of natural trails nothing really we'll say established at the time and this is like 18 years ago um and I was coming down a hill and uh the tires just get packed up with mud so the bike just keeps sliding it doesn't it doesn't slow down um and uh, then i i hit a tree and uh it wasn't the tree that did the damage like I, I had a helmet on and everything i fell backwards onto a patch of rocks and landed on my back on the rocks and it was it was instant um because my knees were this close to my face but i couldn't feel anything um and i was i was there sort of all of my muscles below my chest just were not functioning and I couldn't even draw enough breath or air to scream with the pain it was just you know stuck there on the side of the hill um in this position not able to move terrified and it was a really really rainy day you know it's one thing when you're 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 wet and it's a warm day that's you know, you're 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 going to be. It's not too bad. If it's a cold day and it's not wet, then it's not too bad. But the combination of cold and wet, and you become sort of like you start to get, like the shock, the fear, the cold, the wet, all of it's sort of massively overwhelming. And I remember uh, waking up a couple of times. So I obviously went out with the pain a couple of times and came um, and came back out, um, and it was just one of those things you know that that um you know i think i think about it sometimes and it's absolutely you know it's it's ter terrible to think about but at the same time and i i know it's sort of cliche to talk about this idea that every cloud has a silver lining i wouldn't even be talking to you today if if that hadn't have happened right where um i went on this journey afterwards and sometimes you have to stop what you're doing and maybe it's a forced stop that you don't realize that 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 it's supposed to happen to bring you in a direction that you're supposed to go um so when 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 that happened luckily i'd been out with another guy uh, um that that was um that i'd only met a couple of weeks previously that was looking to go mountain biking um and he went and he he found some people uh, again because it was such a bad day the weather there was no one out on the hill so it was very you know he was gone for a good while and um again it was terrifying because you're there for a, f a couple hours like that and then the, the the emergency services have to come along and because i'm so far up the hill um they they have to stretcher me down and every step that they take with me on the stretcher i can feel th this jolt of more pain um and then into an ambulance and to the host the closest hospital and they were sort of like nope not 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 our not our area of expertise you need to get him to dublin and and that was it up to dublin to the matter hospital where they performed surgery i think it was less than 24 hours later um and yeah then to rehabilitation hospital that's that was another few months so that's sort of like what happened and the timeline and sequence of stuff up to get into the hospital. What surgery did they perform on you? Well, they uh, done a, um, a, fu a fusion with um, 
have four titanium rods and I think there's 28 screws in there uh, to sort of like because I was T6 and T7 vertebrae got crushed um, so it was to, to try and keep the, the vertebrae separate so you don't have the spinal compression and things like that so um, it's it was T6, T7 complete um, so like complete transection that's a cut through the spinal cord but I think that that's something that's all the time, right? Doesn't matter, um, and anything better than that is is great. So, because sometimes I, I I think I do believe I'll walk again someday. Um, whether it's true, uh, well I have done on an exoskeleton, right? But whether it's through a, a medical intervention or or whatever it might be, it, it I'm 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 sure it'll happen. But it's just like. The, the injury was very, very, like I, I broke a load of teeth and I, all sorts of different things. <laughs> Next day after surgery, I was picking twigs out of my hair and stuff. And it's just uh, a, an enormous shock in a short period of time. Um, yeah. And uh, the weirdest thing about it was, I suppose, when you're in hospital, you are in the moment of, of the shock. So you're not really sort of registering how other people are reacting to what, what's going on. But, um, you know, people come in and they're looking at you and going, you know, sort of, they can't get over this idea that, that that's what it is now. Um, but you're sort of just trying to get through and, and, and manage, um, which I think is uh, sometimes the nature of these things uh, that when your survival instinct kicks in, you don't realize how bad it actually is. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, but that's, what's interesting you were saying is that it is just surviving, getting through that day, that hour, that minute. Uh, some people don't even realize. So, you know, not being able to take in everything else because, you know, your survival instinct is to just get through this mm. moment. Um, and then the next one, you'll figure it out at the next moment. Um, but what I, what I love about what you said actually is that you have hope and, uh, you know, you believe in yourself that, you know, you are going to, you know, walk one day, which is, which is a really, it's a wonderful thing to hear because a lot of people do lose hope. Um, and a lot of people don't believe in themselves. So the fact that you can still sit here and you can say, well, I believe I'm going to walk one day. It's, it's that hope. And I think that if any, anyone can hold on to anything in life, it's just hope. If you can hold on to even a tiny piece of hope, it, it can just help you again in those moments and it can help you get through um, each day in a way. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And then I wanted to ask then, so why, why do you believe in, you know, every cloud as a silver lining? Um, because I think that, um, you know, for, for me at the time, it was this enormous reset, right? It was like at the time, the, the relationship I was in broke down. That that didn't survive. Uh, career was gone. All hope of anything that was, um, you know, the, the direction I was going in life would just evaporated. And it all happened in a, a split second, right? You know, it's just... Uh, but then it was like, <clears throat> the, I think it sort of goes back to my military... A career where um, you, you got to see pretty bad things and how people have a harder life even than me with my disability right so 
because I served in Liberia for six months and got to see like you know great great things and miracles of uh, human life and how people manage and how they survive uh, and then I understand too in a place like that someone with an injury like mine might only last three years so you sort of look at that it from the perspective that I was in a country in a place where I knew I was going to be okay um, and the, that I had a start point to go from that when it's all gone you don't have anything else to lose you can only you can only build on that right so um it was sort of like like I said when I was in um, uh, hospital um, in rehabilitation it was like okay how what am I going to do next where am I going to go and immediately sort of a lot of that sort of um, I think um, military training uh, train of thought um, discipline kicks in and you sort of go okay there are the things like you mentioned there are the things I need to get through today to re achieve my objectives these are the things I need to do to achieve my objectives and I, I, I made a sort of competition out of uh, recovery while in rehabilitation I was like right they say I'm gonna be here for four months I'm getting out in three they say this is what I need to do I'm gonna I'm gonna do it twice you know they tell me I can't do it I'm gonna do it twice so that kind of way of thinking about it, being so preoccupied with achieving an objective that uh, you, you're you're making gains and when you make the gains then like you're you're sort of you're creating that value in yourself uh, and, and that other people can see and go okay it's not as bad and then moving forward so um, and it might seem really strange but um, to leverage my disability and what people see now in a way that I'm able to go okay I'm able to achieve something that might seem extraordinary just because I'm in a wheelchair but it's not it's just an ordinary thing I just happen to be in a wheelchair doing it right so I think it's a it's a way for people to remember. Do you remember that person who has that disability who did that thing? It's easier for them to remember that than do you remember that person who did that thing? No, several people have done that, right? So I think that in a weird way, it's a silver lining that you have a different, more memorable thing to be able to put in people's minds. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that's sort of... It does. You. It does actually make sense. I. I do understand. I understand what, exactly what you're trying to say. So it does make sense. Um, because well, this is the thing: is you've now. I mean, you are mountain biking again. Yeah. Um, and you have created. Obviously, you know. Tell me if I'm wrong, but you have created now your own um, adaptive mountain bike, right? Right. Right. So, you know. If we go back again, I know I'm going back and forward and doing this, you know, but if we go back to uh, studying industrial design, I ended up um, finishing when I was um, near the end of my, my college, uh, um, um, I did get my degree, um, myself and a couple of other people got together and we started a collaborative doing uh, design. And uh, the reason why we did that was because it was actually quite difficult to get work. Um, uh, you know, as a designer, it's very, very difficult. I probably got into one of the most difficult professions to get a job in is industrial design. And um, for that reason, I ended up starting a startup uh, with um, another guy. 
and we developed some products and we sold them and you know learned a lot about how you develop a business through that pr pr uh, process but i also ended up going to china um to see some of those products being made um and i spent maybe eight months out of every year for the last for the eight years before the pandemic in china working uh, working with hundreds of startups and different types of products um and developed um you know a very unique skill set that, that allowed me then to start thinking about bigger projects such as the the, the bike uh, the bike one so uh the bike didn't just come around as right i'm going to design a bike it was a different process entirely i when when the pandemic happened and i came home um i actually started to teach at nyu new york university at that stage um when i was at home i started to go out on a bike that I did have um, and but it quickly went past the capabilities of that bike start breaking stuff um, and then I, I you know I probably sounded like a crackpot to a lot of people but I was reaching out to bike companies and you know going not like standard bike companies but bike companies that build adaptive bikes and going look I have these great ideas I'd love to work with you and blah 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 but uh, I'm sure everyone was like, that's just another, you know, crazy person looking to sort of get stuff done cheaply or whatever. And that was my pitch. I was like, look, I have these great ideas. If you help me to work on them, um, I'm happy to sort of, you know, pass over these ideas or whatever. Um, no one was biting. So uh, I eventually then found a company in Spain who were interested in working with me on, on the project. And I said, look, here's all the ideas. And they did. Uh, to be fair, they did a lot of the design development of the, the bike because they were working in a material I knew nothing about, carbon fiber. Uh, but I had a lot of ideas that they implemented in that design. And together we created this this world first, the uh, full suspension um, carbon fiber adaptive mountain bike. Now, there is mountain bikes out there, adaptive mountain bikes out there, but they are enormously expensive. I mean, something capable is probably starting at about 12,000 euros. So... You know, for me, it was, you know, very difficult decisions had to be made around, do I spend this kind of money on, on a bike? Um, and it wasn't a difficult decision once I got the bike because it brought me further places. I could see more things, whatever. But what did happen was I did have um, like a, a part fail. I, I, you know, it was true pilot error, we'll say, because I, you know, landed hard on a jump and broke apart. And what happened at that point was, you know, when that part broke, we were stuck in the forest. And I know I, I wasn't injured, but that sort of, that, that, that fear came back from the original crash where I'm stuck here. How do I get out? What am I going to do, right? Like it's not, like the pain part and the injury part wasn't there, but the, all of the stuff surrounding that getting cold. It was just the weirdest thing to start to feel those things again. And I felt like this is not the way an adaptive bike should be. You should be able to get out of these situations in some way. You should be able to, you know, um, manage. And I was with a friend again, and after many cable ties and ratchet straps and whatnot, we got the bike into a condition where we could get off the trail and I, I could get, get back to um, the car park. And then I reached out to the company and I said, look, how much is it going to cost to replace the part? And they told me an astronomical figure and a ridiculous amount of time for the part to be replaced. And it was like, why is why is it that people with disabilities are penalized 
to this degree because you can't go into the bike shop to get the part. And you utterly depend on the organization who made the component to make that component for you because it's a specialist component. And it was, it was six weeks of my life that I wouldn't be able to enjoy the thing that I wanted to do. And I felt like if that's like that for everyone with a disability, how is anyone going to uh, sort of maintain, uh, like, because there's these peaks of, I get out and I do this and it's amazing, but then it's all gone in a second. And it's like, you have to wait because you have no choice. So for me, it was like, that's, that's just, doesn't sit well with me. I'm like going that, if I have a way to solve that problem, can I do it? So that's when I went back and I designed the bike from front to back with a couple of objectives. One of them is that the parts could all be made uh, with, with a CNC machine. Uh, we use a standard pipe diameter for the frame and it could all be bolted together. So if you did break a component, you could switch it out quickly. Um, and the parts would take no more than uh, two weeks to manufacture, depending on, you know, if you, if you want to spend a little bit more, you can get them quicker, you know. But, but the idea was to put an adaptive bike on par with a regular bike from a repairability perspective and speed uh, of uh, repair, repair and also cost effectiveness. And there's a couple of reasons for that. You know, I mentioned this idea of six weeks, right? Six weeks is a long time by any measure. Um, it's it's even longer when you have a disability because your time frame and window for being able to do the things you love is not as big because of your body deteriorating and there's going to be points where it's just not possible, right? So when you take that chunk of six weeks away from someone, you're probably taken in regular able-bodied, maybe, uh, you know, a few years, right? So how do we make sure that that doesn't happen? And that's why I designed the bike uh, back to front that we could, we could make all the parts uh, quickly, easily. Um, and then uh, I decided that I'm going to open source that design as well, that anyone can get those files and build their own bike. So that's the journey of the bike so far. Well, no, there's a whole lot more, but we can, we can talk about that. I think what's obviously really interesting is that, um, I mean, obviously it is a case of when people go through things, they then um, can use what they've been through their experiences into you know what they do next. And even when you were going out and you were trialing each new bike, obviously, unfortunately you had, you know, the accident again afterwards, which, you know, made you feel, you know, very similar to the first one. But it was even in like that moment when you kind of realized, okay, wait a minute, that means I need to change X, Y, Z on the mm. bike. Um, and I guess that's kind of what it is, isn't it? It's when we look at obstacles or what we think are setbacks, actually, it's not, it's, it's an opportunity. Um, and in that, in itself, you were able to see exactly what you needed to then change for the bike for other people moving forward. Mm -hmm. um, and I do want to ask then, if someone does want to get a bike, where can they locate one? So what we're doing, um, hopefully by the end of this year, is releasing the files. But what we actually did at the beginning of this year is at NYU, we, we started the project um, where we decided to try and get a few bikes built. We wanted to prove out the concept of this, right? So we started the project at NYU and we called it Project Mjolnir. Um, I don't know if you know what Mjolnir is. Mjolnir, no? So Mjolnir <laughs> was um, Thor's hammer, 
right? So Thor had this hammer, it was called Mjolnir, and he could break everything down, and this idea of breaking down all the barriers uh, for people, um, that's, that's where this, you know, the, the inspiration for this name came from. Um, a divine instrument for breaking down barriers. Um, and also, like, sort of for the nerdy people that might know, uh, Mjolnir was the class of armor that John uh, 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 117 from the Halo video games used to wear. So it was uh, this sort of, th these ideas were what, what, you know, were the story of the, the whole project. And we started the project last January with the objective to build four bikes at four locations uh, in order to show that you could build a bike anywhere. Um, and we got sponsorship and, and help from specialized bicycles from SRAM Bicycle Components and a few others as well. Um, and we built a bike in New York. Uh, we built one in Abu Dhabi. Uh, we're building one in Shanghai in September and we're building one here in Ireland in the next few weeks. Um, and the idea was that like we can put a set of parts anywhere in the world and assemble a bike, an adaptive bike, for under 3,000 uh, euros for a basic one. And an electric assist one probably be closer to about 4,000. Um, and through that process, we're learning how to, you know, make sure that the, that when people get the files, they're able to build a bike. Because I don't want to put something in the world and go, there's files and, you know, go and do it. I want to show that it's actually possible through the process of doing it, right? To speak to what you were talking about before, what do we need to change? How do we need to change it in order for people to be able to do it? So that's that's where we are with it. And I think in in this fall semester, uh, or autumn semester, we'll say, this part of the world, um, we will uh, begin to release those files that people can, can get a hold of them and start to, to build uh, bikes off of that CAD file. Or if they need to get the parts, um, I'm more than happy to share uh, the the the, um, the details of the people I've been working with to get the components, but um, that that's the sort of journey. Uh, like I'd rather that we get this right and that we know it's doable and then release it, um, than sort of go you know because it's difficult otherwise you know. Yeah, no, I agree with you, and it's making sure that um, it's making sure that it is right before you kind of do put it out there for everybody else because um i mean it's yeah it's it's important to do it in that way it makes a lot of sense um i actually do know that it was thor's hammer i just didn't actually realize that that's what you were referring to so thor's one of my favorite superheroes <laughs> so All when you right. said it i was like oh no like oh of course i know <laughs> yeah 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 um, I think it's really interesting as well, because a lot of the time when I speak to people here, um, and something that I always am fascinated by is that um, people, when they've had uh, an accident or an injury in, you know, a specific area in their life or a sport, and they go back to it, um, because I think that's something that um, it's, I mean, it's terrifying. You know, you've, you've had something happen once. You know, how, how, how was it for you to go through that again? Because you are mountain biking again, and that's where your accident was. So wh wh where was it when you kind of said, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to face my fears, and I'm going to get back out there? Mm. Um, yeah, so again, it was my neighbor, uh, Robert, who who is a mountain biker, who was into mountain biking. And he said, you should come to the local trails. And I was like, you know, I, I don't think I can go on the trails. He said, well, we'll go on the fire roads and we'll... Um, and I said, okay, sure, why not? We went and um, 
when we went up the hill, I was just, um, I felt like this is amazing to be in nature again to this degree, to be places that a lot of people wouldn't even go if they're able-bodied, right? Um, and then we got to the top of one of the first, like, mountain bike trails, the, the, the easier ones there, and um, it was one of those moments where I was like, okay, you know, we're here now. I can either go back down the easy way or I can go down this way and see what happens. Um, I said, how much more damage can you do to yourself? <laughs> you know, it's probably not possible to, to do, to make it any worse. So we just went for it. And um, when I was going down there, um, uh, it was not a terrifying experience from the perspective of I could have an accident. It was a terrifying experience, but it was on that side where adrenaline kicked in, where where it felt so amazing. The reason why I did it in the first place, it came back. It all came flooding back. This whole feeling that, you know, um, that I had before, uh, before the accident, the reasons for doing the sport. And there's another thing that happened as well, um, that is the exact same thing every time I go out now. I am no longer disabled there because while we might be in, in our built environments, there's a lot of places that are inaccessible and, and difficult to get around and the frustration is there because we as humans built those things but we didn't maybe consider disability. When we go into the forest on a piece of um, a technology that allows you to do that, the technology is the enabler and the forest isn't inaccessible, right? And it's just being able to do that's really incredible. Um, but it's the other part of it that I am no longer carry a disability when I'm on the trail. It's like the wheelchair is not there, the disability is not there anymore. I'm out there in nature going, going, going down the trails and having fun. And then the fear as well, the absolute terror on some of those trails. The fear, like everyone loves fear, the, 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 the adrenaline from the fear, right? They, you, they might not like how they get to that point. But that, that feeling is something that's just indescribable, right? <clears throat> and I feel like that sometimes when you're on those downhills, because you don't think about anything else, but that absolute thing you need to concentrate on, you separate totally from whether it's a disability, whether it's life's problems, whether it's things you're worried about outside of, you know, what you're doing right now. None of that matters anymore. It doesn't exist because you can't afford for it to be part of what you're doing at that point. So being able to completely separate um, gives you a break, right? Gives you a break from things that, that, that might be a, a difficulty. Um, and it's also, I feel like that it's really valuable from the perspective of you get to a flow state, this sort of thing where you must concentrate utterly to, to, to manage. Um, and repeating that flow state um, means that like you carry uh, parts of that into every other part of your life where, you know, for me, when I start to work now, I, I find myself able to get to a flow state of what I do much faster because I, I have the experience of getting out at the weekends on the bike and just separating and, and having to be in that flow state. So, um, yeah, it's largely positive. Sometimes it's terrifying, 
but I, I haven't found my, with the exception of a couple of times where we break the bike or something, um, you know, uh, I got over the fear pretty quick, quickly of the, the accident part of it. Yeah, it's what are you saying about flow state is um, the thing is a lot of people can find in all walks of life different ways that they can get into this flow state. And it was really interesting because when you were talking about how you do it and, and how you feel it when you are on the bike, I was thinking about and a very similar thing because I was thinking about I rock climb and it's exactly the same when, you know, you have to focus on you know, you have to focus on, you know, what's, what's right in front of you. And I think that's why it's so fascinating as well is because in any way that people can get into this flow state, it is focusing on exactly what is in front of you in that moment. Um, and once you, it, I mean, it's an amazing feeling when you are in that state, it is an amazing feeling. Um, and it's really nice to hear that kind of, what I really liked as well was that you said that, what made you get into it in the first place all those years ago, the feelings that you had all those years ago, you have them again. And I think that's also something that's really lovely to hear because I think people probably also think if they want to try something again for the first time that they might've done however many years ago, that it won't be the same, but it can be the same, but also different, but also the same, <laughs> mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Of course it's different, right? Um, because I don't, it, it's actually, I feel like a little bit more challenging because I, you know, no one went out and built a mountain bike trail and said some lunatic in a wheelchair is going to try and go down here one day. Right. So they didn't make them wider. They didn't make them, you know, so the bike is wider. It's a bit different to handle. You have to think differently about how you corner all these different things. Right. I mean, the assumptions that you might have had your first time around don't work the second time around when when you're doing it with a disability. And what's really interesting for me is that every time I go out, I'm learning something new. It's like I've re not just reconnected to the sport, not just got back to the original tribe I was in, but I, I'm learning a new set of ways of managing on the trail. And what I feel like is really interesting about that is that I think disability um, um, preps you like having a disability preps you or um, uh, carrying a disability and the way you plan and think about things prepares you for um, uh, new learning experiences so like I, I, I always talk about disability as a, it's, it's, it's an inherent part of the human condition regardless of you like it, liking it or not you're going to end up disabled when you get old enough right and um, if we don't sort of embrace that idea um, and sort of go, okay, this is something we can learn from or utilize in a way um, to benefit everyone in the future, then what, you know, what, you know, what are we doing? You know, we have this unique opportunity. And, and again, I go back to the idea that I think people with disabilities often become some of the best problem solvers because their entire existence is based around that. They... Like for me, it's get up in the morning before I go to bed, right? Is everything in a position where I can manage tomorrow morning? It's not get out of bed, go over and get stuff and, and manage. It's everything has to be prepared, right? And you're going through this state of preparation at all times during your life. Um, and I think when when you're like that, when it you know, it sort of bleeds into the other parts of your life as well. Like when I go mountain biking, preparation is key. Get there 
when we, you know, what, what's the weather like? What's the trail going to be like? Are we prepared for this? What's going to happen when we go down there? You're almost living in the future before it's happened, just because you can't afford to get away with it otherwise, right? Um, and you're learning how to um, read what's going on much in a, in a different way. So I feel like that um, there's like this forced uh, rewiring of your neural networks to to consider things that didn't even happen yet that forces you into the future and being able to sort of go, okay, this is how I'm going to manage if that occurs or this, this occurs. And then that then comes down to sort of these micro decisions on the trail. What if I hit that rock? What if that, you know, thistle hits me in the hand? What if this happens? And this is happening at 30 kilometers an hour. So the challenge, while it might not be 50 kilometers an hour on a regular bike, uh, the challenge is just as big and, and just as, as fun to try and go through, even though you're going slower. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm having more fun now than I did the first time around. Not sure. <laughs> oh, that's, it's, it's nice to hear that, that you're saying that you think you're having more fun. Um, and I think but what you can also do is that you can implement that into, it's, it's, it's like implementing that into everyday life as well, like you were saying. But I think it can go for anyone as well. It's, you know, you can try, like you said, you do, you did it before. And yes, obviously it's very different. And the ways that you did it before were very different to how you do it now, even though the feelings are, if not the same or almost better, but it's like with anything, you know, you can do something once and you can continue doing it for however long. And then suddenly it doesn't work out anymore for whatever reason, but that doesn't mean give up because there is not just one other way that you can try it. There are an infinite amount of ways that you can try what what works for you and just because it works for you it might not work for someone else or if it works for someone else it might not work for you but it is to keep going and to keep trying because if you want something that bad and you want to feel you know feel the same way again you have to keep going and you have to keep trying it's all trial and error and you will get there and you can end up having even more fun than you ever have before mm, for yeah definitely the case and I think that the initial barrier is that the fear, um, and and I completely understand it. It took me, uh, what, 15 years before I did anything like that again, right? There's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, there is the technological barrier. I don't think adaptive mountain bikes existed in their current guise up until maybe five, maybe six years ago. So the, the, the technology wasn't there. Um, and I still think that's an enormous barrier for a lot of people because, you know, if you buy a regular bike and you go out and you try and you don't like it, you'll sell it to someone else who's able-bodied. Whereas an adaptive bike is going to cost you in order of magnitude, maybe 10 times as much money for a really good one. And then you can't sell it because it's generally designed and built for you as an individual or you end up, you know, people are afraid of the sport so they don't want to spend that kind of money on a bike. So I think that... Um, there, there's a few barriers still there but we it doesn't mean that we don't keep working to try and break them down like you said there's ways around like for me it was like you know i have to get this bike i have to be able to do this i have to be able to get to the next level how do i do that what what do i have within i always think about like what are the resources i have to enable myself rather than what do i not have that holds me back and then leverage those as much as possible and for me I took a career path that allowed me to do, to do, to do this stuff. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean anyone can't 
work on those things. Like I'm always encouraging people with disabilities who might reach out to me and ask, oh, can you design a thing for me? So there's free software. There's this. You, you're time rich. Maybe you don't have so much money, but you're time rich. So learn. Learn this stuff. Constantly educate yourself. Bring yourself forward. Um, and don't, I, I, because I think what happens to us and I'm like 44 now, right? I think what happens to us is as we get older, we, we feel like we should know, but we don't actually, and we don't want to admit that that's probably one of our bigger, biggest fears. We don't want to learn something new because we feel like we should know, or we feel like it's an enormous waste of time. And I'm always like, you know, I, I don't know anything about anything all the time and just treat everything like that and then just try and learn as much about it as you can. Um, and even if it's a little bit every day, it really helps, right? So, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, to speak to what you talked about, never never giving up. Again, it's very cliched, but what, what, does, what does never giving up look like? It might look like 10 minutes a day learning a new piece of software. But that's all it needs to be, uh, to be actually moving yourself forward. Um, and, and, you know, even, you know, and we're all, and again, you know, we can talk about different types of disability, but different people are, are not going to be able to do as much as others. And, and, and that's completely fine too. Like, I mean, something I'm learning along the way is like, you know, and, and part of the reason why we're doing the project at NYU is, you know, different people with different disabilities won't be able to manage the bike in the same way. So we need to be able to consider that and develop the bike in different directions um, to enable more people to have the same experience. So, um, yeah, we're always learning, always learning, always making progress. Doesn't matter how small, you know. I think that's a really important uh, thing to remember is that it's... Uh... I mean, it's totally okay to keep learning. And like you, you, I think you said it exactly in that way is that some people feel that they, they, they should know everything or, you know, they feel like, oh, no, I, I, I shouldn't be learning this, you know, at whatever stage of life I'm in. But it's actually okay to keep learning because we're all learning. We've never been in these situations. We've never been in this exact moment ever. <laughs> this is yeah. the first time we've ever been in this exact moment right the second. And so we are always learning as we go through every, every phase of life, every person we meet, everything we do. So it's okay to keep learning because actually it's, I mean, I love learning. I, I, I'm learning all the time as, as are you. And you find out so many different things when you're open to want to keep learning as well. When you're open to it, then it does, you know, you, you learn so much more, uh, when, you know, when you're not open, let's say. Um, and also what we were talking about, about yes, never giving up and how cliche that might sound, but with all of that in mind, if you did have, um, not if you did, you know, what is a piece of advice that you would give to somebody that, um, I mean, what you gave before was great advice, but if you, you know, what is a piece of advice that you would give to somebody that say, um, say they're at the journey where they are, they want to try that thing again whatever it might be they want to try that thing again but they are they're, they're too scared for whatever their reasons are because every reason is very different but they are too scared what would you say to them mm. um i sort of feel like that what what was it for me at the moment when i wanted to do it again was uh just if you can if you can grab a hold of some of the memories and and 
try and counter the fear with those memories, right? So it's like, you know, I'm terrified to go down this hill, but remember that time you did that and it was amazing, right? What if it's like that? Make the what ifs about positives rather than about negatives. Because I think when we have catastrophic uh, impact in our life, we always think about what ifs in relation to the negative outcome of that thing happening. Uh, but if we can sort of grab a hold of what went before that, why we were doing it, um, maybe we can sort of pull those memories into to the what ifs and go, what if it's amazing? You know, what if it's the best thing I've ever done? You know, what if um, I get to feel all of those things again, right? Um, that's the way I would approach the thing that I'd be afraid of. Um, but that fear is there for us in, in, in the learning capacity as well, you know? Uh, and I think that that's important too as well to sort of expand on that a little bit maybe go what if when I learn this I can help others what if you know when when I do this that I create something that never existed before that I bring a value into the world that just didn't didn't exist and, and benefits other people too right what if I made money from it right Be become something more than just what I feel like I am right now um through through being able to do those things empower myself um yeah that's the long-winded approach but that's the way i would think about it i like it because it is it's it's what if i mean what if it all works out what if you know your dreams do come true rather than thinking about the negative what ifs because we all seem to focus on the negatives way too much mm. it's focusing on the but what if you know what if something absolutely amazing happens um and i think once you start focusing on the positives they are more likely to come mm. um not even more likely they are going to come when you start focusing on them a lot more mm. um so with all of that in mind is there anything else that you wanted to discuss today not really but i just think about when we were talking about what ifs it would have been the same for me reaching out to you it was like what if i reach out to her and see if she wants to chat about this like what what's the worst thing that's going to happen you're going to tell me no this is this crackpot from ireland going on about this <laughs> stuff but but it turned out to be a good thing, right? So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything else. If you have any more questions, I, I could talk, talk, talk about this stuff all day. It's actually what you were just saying about the what if uh, reaching out to somebody is, uh, well, maybe that's exactly what happened. If you didn't reach out to me, we might not be here right now. Um, and it is a very much a case. It is very much a case of that as well. And there, there have been plenty of moments in my life especially when I started this where I would sit there and I would say to myself oh no you know I don't want to I, I can't reach out to that person I shouldn't reach out to that person mm -hmm. or for whatever it is and then I used to say to my and I still do it I say but what if I just do it what if mm -hmm. I just do it because I know the vision I know the dream I know the goal so what if I just do it and I think that's, it is, everybody has it. Everybody has it. Whatever they're doing in life, wherever they are, whoever they want to speak to, they are at that crossroad where they, they think, you know, do I want to go and say hello? Mm. Or do I want to message this person? What if the worst thing that's going to happen is they are going to say no. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the thing is, is what I've learned. And then if they do say no, actually it's a win-win because you actually win in that situation either way because yes obviously if they say yes then perfect amazing but if they say no you still won because you've shown yourself you have the confidence to mm. do the thing that scared you you have the confidence to go over and 
say hi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Send the message. Yeah. So it's a win-win. <laughs> yeah, it's always, I think that, you know, again, if I think about like, you know, learning new stuff, whatnot, the very least you get from every scenario is the, the advance you made for yourself. That's the very least in every single one of those scenarios. Um, it's just a little bit that we're afraid of what people think or we're worried about wasting time or whatever it might be, you know. Uh, but you do get better at picking what are the what ifs you want to go after uh, over time. It's not, you can't be what if about everything, right? Because you, <laughs> you'd never have time for yourself otherwise, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. You do find out the, the right what ifs, but when you feel them and, you know, you, you really feel them, you just have, to, it's so much easier said than done, I know, but you just have to do them. And once you start doing them, it does get easier. Mm, yeah, for sure. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. I am very excited to come to London. It's not to London. I'm in London. I am very excited to come to Ireland <laughs> and uh, give mountain biking a go because uh, I love to do things like that. And I'm looking forward to seeing the bike as well. Sure. Yeah, that would be great. Anytime. Perfect. Well, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for joining me. And there you have it. Noel's journey reminds us that we can rise and conquer. Mountain biking is more than just a sport for Noel. It's a gateway to the elusive flow state when challenges melt away and pure joy and freedom take over. So this week, think about the things that you do that take you into the flow state. Euphoria, peace, where all your worries and thoughts drift away. I enter that state a lot when I'm rock climbing and I'm in the mountains. So where do you find that flow state and how can you enter it more often? Keep seeking that flow state in your very own life. So stay tuned for more incredible stories and thank you for joining us. Until next time, remember that you have the power to get back up.